Life Center, wherever you are, present, online, around the world, anywhere, good morning. As Joyce was saying, what an incredible joy for us to actually gather together in the house of the Lord and begin to celebrate Him. Before we begin, I just wanted to remind us that the song we sang, Blessed Assurance, a moment ago, do you know that that was written in 1873? So that's a, that's a long time ago. Thanks, Joey. And not only that, it was written by Fanny Crosby, who was blind. She was blind, but when you think of the 8,000 songs that she wrote, songs of worship and adoration, your heart says, I wonder what she saw. Because sometimes we have eyes, but we don't see, and we have ears, but we don't hear. And we have hearts that are hardened. But in her case, she decided that she would live her life in such a way that she could worship God and enjoy him in a unique fashion. Do you know that each, every, each and every one of you are unique? There's nobody on the planet just like you. Your fingerprints are different. Your retinal scans are different. Everything about you is unique to you. And God has a purpose and God has a plan for every life. And so as we begin this talk on legacy, I want you to know that when I was a young man, long before my hair was chrome, see, when you ride a motorcycle, you never get gray hair, you just get chrome. And the chrome seems to be growing. And I have this vision in my mind of a ponytail at the back. <laughs> Because every time I would see a guy in his 70s with a ponytail, I'd think, oh, get a life. And here I am looking like Randy. Come on. We're doing it. But all of these components, when I was young, I remember my life going in, in a direction that I really didn't want it to go but didn't know how to change it. And I was in a bookstore, and I heard someone talk about a service going on in the city. And I said to myself, I think I'll go and have a look and see what's going on. And that began this journey for me, where eventually I was introduced to the person of Jesus Christ. You and I are ready right now to go back to have a meal at a restaurant, to enjoy being in the company of other people. And... When Joyce and I passed by a restaurant this morning and all the people were sitting in the tent, and I said to her, they're just like little kids in a candy store. They're just so excited to be there. Well, I discovered that when you get to know Jesus Christ for who he really is, you get excited that you want to tell other people about him. Why? Because you would do the same with a meal at a restaurant, and you'd say, well, I went to this place today, and it was absolutely fantastic. You need to try it. And how often in life, whether it's a car, whether it's a neighborhood, whether it's clothing, whatever it might be, if we're excited about it, we want to share. And so I went to a retreat weekend, and they began to share about living a life in union with Christ, and I thought to myself, well, my life's a mess Maybe he can do something about it. I want you to know that legacy is something you begin right now, right where you are. 
and you begin to put your hand in the hand of the one who loves you eternally, and just like we heard a moment ago, he begins to direct your steps. And you begin to look at life and you realize there's imitators in life, but there's also the genuine. And Jesus Christ is the real thing. And he will not only change your heart, he'll change your mind, he'll change your emotions, he'll change everything about you to live the way he wants you to live as an example of the kingdom of heaven on earth, day in and day out. Doesn't mean it's perfect. We live in a fallen world, in a sinful world, but he begins to work in us and conform us to his image and likeness. And when he does that, things begin to change in us and around us. And so I want to talk about legacy. But before I do, I'd like you to stand one more time. And at Life Center, I've been doing this for, well, since 1981. <laughs> That's a long time. I'd say this is my Bible as a prayer. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I can do. And every morning when I would wake up, I'd say, Lord, I'm ready to receive today into my heart the ever-living, everlasting, incorruptible seed called the Word of God. Then I would say, Holy Spirit, speak to this stubborn heart about legacy what it means to you, make it real to me so that I can live the way you want me to live starting today. You know that most of us can't change our past, but we can change our future? And we can do that by starting right here, right now. Put your hand over your heart. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts about legacy. Leading from that place of focus in you, and understanding, Lord, that you're at work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. And everything you do is wonderful. And because of that, we say thank you for what you're going to do today in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Last week, Pastor Jeff was speaking about leading through crisis. And I thought it was very revealing when he talked about burning off his eyebrows when he was younger. And then he talked about fainting in the doctor's office. And I thought, boy, that's vulnerability. You're talking about something that's very real to you. And so thank you, Jeff, for doing that because it gives all of us confidence to share. Today we're going to talk about leading for legacy as we conclude this series as Pastor Joyce was talking about being more like Jesus. We've talked about leading like Jesus by leading ourselves. First person you have to lead is yourself. Check it out. Every so often when you shift blame to something outside of you, the problem's inside of you. And so when you lead yourself first, that's when things begin to change. Then leading others, how we set an example and walk with others. Leading well, being able to say, I want to live my life in excellence. I want to do the best that I know how in everything that I do. And then leading in crisis, like Jeff talked about, and today, leading for legacy's sake. Because we live in a meritocracy in our culture, we think of legacy in terms of greatness. And it certainly can include greatness, but if it's only defined by greatness, then 
Legacy will be limited to just a select few. Proverbs 13.22 reminds us that we're to leave an inheritance to our children's children. And that's a good thing because then you're thinking biblically along the lines of tri-generational, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the three-generation model. Let's see this in practical terms for those of you that are here this morning. Do you, if you know the names, the first names of your parents, put your hands up. Isn't that wonderful? What about the na- first names of your grandparents? Put your hands up. Wow. What about the names of your great-grandparents? Yeah, the hands are starting to slide down. And what about the names of your great-great-grandparents? Not many hands now. So most certainly only will remember kind of a few generations. And because this is true, some people will say that legacy must be tied to greatness because greatness is remembered forever. But not necessarily. How many remember the name Terry Fox? Those of you that were in school and learned about Terry? In the midst of a cancer diagnosis as a young man of 22 years old, he decided that he wanted to raise some money for cancer awareness and research. And so he put it in his heart to start at one end of Canada and begin to run across the nation with a prosthetic leg. And from the time that he started till he got to Ontario and then closer towards Ottawa, not that many people noticed. But then all of a sudden, things began to happen. The news got hold of it. People got hold of it. It resonated with people. And what we don't know is behind the scenes, his mom, Betty, and his dad, Roly, were there to encourage him, to support him, to strengthen him. And most people do not remember Terry's parents' name, but he sure did. And his siblings sure did because they saw the investment that they were making in this young man's life when he was facing cancer. He wanted to not just allow cancer to do in him what it was doing, but he wanted to think bigger than all of that. And in his heart of hearts, he ended up developing something called the Marathon of Hope. And what that meant was on his prosthetic leg, he would run a marathon every single day. Think about that, every single day. There are people who train to do a marathon once in their life, and he decided he was going to do it every single day, and he did. And he covered 5,300 kilometers over 143 days, and when he hit Thunder Bay, Ontario, on September 1st of 1980, his cancer spread, and he died the following year in 1981. He's best known for a statement that I'm only one one member of the Marathon of Hope. I'm equal to all of you. He wanted to raise $1 for every Canadian in 1981. And in Canada's history, in 1981, we were 24 million people. So his goal was to raise $24 million. Do you know how much he's raised to date? With the Marathon of Hope, it's over $800 million. It's going to close in on a billion dollars soon. Just one young man in his room saying, I can do more than just suffer through this cancer. I can raise 
money for research so that others don't have to go through this. And so the parents decided that his siblings, Fred, his older brother, Judy, his, his sister, and his younger brother, Daryl, that they would get involved in the Terry Fox Foundation and they would continue the work that he started. All of us know that this is a fellow Canadian who understood life and understood death and said, no matter how tough it gets, I'm going to do something of value with the life that I have. So I want you to tuck three words in your heart. Number one's passion. Number two is vision. And the other is action. So Terry had a passion to do something in the midst of a crisis, in the midst of a disease, in the midst of what most people would say a lack of hope. He decided to put into practice his passion. And then he had the vision, I'm going to run across the nation. And then he had action. He actually started and put it into practice. And so for you and I, we have to understand is this is just a, a normal young man confronting something that was horrendous in his life and not letting it overpower him, but he decided to live a victorious life. To the degree that he could, he decided to press with passion, with vision, and with action. I want you to keep those words in your heart and your mind when we talk about this whole issue of legacy. We can also look to the scriptures and see another aspect of legacy, both in the life of Jesus and in the life of one of his disciples, the Apostle Paul. It's found in Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called to him a child. He put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What an example for Jesus to use that he would, in the midst of these men, take a child, place him in the center of them, and say, I want you to be like this. I want you to have this kind of trust, this kind of humility, this kind of humbling your own heart, this kind of acceptance of what an adult is saying, please come here. I want to use you as an example to these men. And the little child comes, and Jesus uses this example. It's similar to what the Apostle Paul does later on in 1 Corinthians 11 when he says to those gathered around him, be imitators of me as I am of Jesus Christ. In other words, when you say to someone, I'm a follower of Jesus, watch my life. Listen to the things that I say. Understand what motivates who I am now. And all of a sudden, you begin to say to people, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And that changes your mindset and your perspective because then he's the focus of your life. I ride a motorcycle. And one of the things that you learn about a motorcycle is where your eyes go is where your motorcycle goes. So if you're going around a corner and there's a car coming and you fix your eyes on the car, you and the car are going to meet. But you don't fix your eyes on the car. You fix your eyes on where you want to go. And so when you go around that curb and you, your, your eyes are in the distance, what you focus on is where you go and what you become. So when Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Jesus, he's got a focus 
on Jesus all the days of his life. And if you study anything about the early church, they struggled with poverty. They struggled with persecution. They struggled with being imprisoned, suffering, their goods taken from them, many, many different things. And yet, we always say in our hearts, we want to get back to the early church. What we really want to get back to is what made them as strong as they were in the midst of all of that because they had their focus in the right place. And so as much as things have changed, humanity is still the same today as it was back then. When you look at the disciples, they're looking at legacy through the lens of greatness and through human skill and accomplishment and status. Yet Jesus says to them, hold on, guys. That's a cultural definition. I want to give you a kingdom definition. I want you to see legacy being lived out out of humility and out of childlike faith. And so he defines it very differently for them. And when he takes this child, this child's vulnerable. It's trusting. It has no ability to advance his own cause apart from help, direction, and the resources often of a parent, a teacher, or someone in their life that's got their best interests at heart. And so Jesus said, this is a model of greatness in the kingdom because this is where legacy be begins. And greatness it comes around words like vulnerable, trusting, no ability to advance my own cause, certainly aren't the first words that come to mind when you think, I want to live a great life. I want to be a powerful figure in life. I want to make a difference in life. And so someone says, well, then you need to be vulnerable. You need to be trusting. You don't want to advance your own cause. You know, today, so many advance their own cause. So many want their life to be a certain brand that people acknowledge and look at. And yet, you, all you have to do is look at television for any length of time and see people that have achieved success. You know, multiple millions of dollars. Everybody knows their name. And then you watch the camera come in and the person's crying because their marriage has just collapsed. And they say, I feel like such a failure. When your life is focused on the culture, it is always going to lead to failure. Nothing is going to fully satisfy you because you are not designed for the culture. You're designed for the kingdom. And so when you put your eyes on Jesus, he made a statement one time that just shook everyone. He said, what does it profit a man that gains the whole world and loses his soul? What was he doing? Focusing them in on things eternal and things that will bring them the greatest joy and peace and happiness in their life. In fact, nowadays, psychologists are doing studies on what makes people happy. And it's Christians who have a relationship with Jesus, who understand the word of God applied to their life, who walk in the midst of all of their struggles with joy that the culture can't understand. Why? Because our roots are down deep in something that's everlasting. We know that this is just temporary. You know, I have tinnitus. I have it ringing in my ears. And whenever I go and get my hearing checked, and they said, uh, is it there now? And I always smile. And I said, could you put the white noise back on the screen and let's listen to that? I said, that's 24-7. 
And I remember when I was first diagnosed with tinnitus, and I sat in the doctor's office, and I heard him say that, and I said, well, when will it go away? And they said, well, it'll never go away. And I walked out of the doctor's office, and I sat in my car, and I said, Lord, it will stop one day, as will everything else. And then how have I lived my life at that point? So in the midst of it, rather than it affecting me, I'm affecting it. Simply by saying that weakness in my body, my long hair, all of these things are temporary. My focus is not on that which is temporal. My focus is that on that which is eternal. I want you to do something while we're at this point. I want you to just look around the sanctuary for a moment, all the empty seats. Do you know how long I've pastored? 45 years. Do you know that these seats have been filled with people who are no longer alive? Dear, dear friends of Joyce and I, people that we've walked with and, and loved and served and been a part of and prayed together and worshiped together and all of that, and yet they've left to go to be with the Lord. And every time I look out and I see empty seats like that and I say to myself, Lord, they made it. They took that step from temporal to eternal. They're now in your presence forever and ever. So, Lord, I don't want to take any worship service for granted. I don't want to take any worship song for granted. I don't want to take for granted anyone up here who prays and leads me in prayer. I don't want to take for granted any message that I hear in my life because it's building something in me that's eternal. It's keeping my focus on Jesus the way it should. And that's what legacy does in your heart and my heart. It's amazing how God will just allow us to walk softly before him and to walk with our eyes focused on him. And when we do that, Jesus is really saying to us, I want you to be like a child, but I don't want you to be childish. I want you to be soft like a child, but I don't want you to be foolish as children can be. And so for Jesus, living for the glorification of self is the ultimate form of being childish. It's having those childish affections. And we can continue to grow older, as we all will, but somewhere along the line, we have to ask ourselves, if I'm growing older, am I also growing up? Am I maturing in my day-to-day -day life? And going up is a word that is used intentionally because in Philippians 3, in starting at verse 14, Paul says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the, everybody say, upward call. It's an upward call of God in Christ. And so let those who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. And so that's why at the beginning of a talk, when I'm doing a talk, I ask people to say, Holy Spirit, speak to my heart. Why? Because the assumption is you want to grow. 
You want to mature. And so God wants to lift you, and he wants to do in you something that you can't do on your own. And so he wants to encourage you, ignite your passion, ignite vision in your heart for a better you, ignite the actions of your life to put into practice the things that you know you need to. And so the goal in life shouldn't be just for you and I to get to the top of whatever we want to get to. Because too many people are driven by personal ambition rather than God's call and his agenda for their life. I said at the beginning when I stopped in the midst of my life as a young man and I said, God, I give you my heart and my life and I don't want to live for myself. I want to live for you. I don't want to invest my life in things temporal that come to an end. I want to invest my life in things eternal. And what that meant was every job that I had, every position that I enjoyed, I did it with excellence. I did it to the best of my ability. Why? Because I'm his. And because I'm saying to people, be an imitator of me as I'm an imitator of Christ. I mean, know he does all things well. And because of that, we want to do all things well. The last thing we want to do as a Christian is slough off things and be half-hearted. We want to work with due diligence in everything that we do as a joy unto the Lord, as an appreciation of the giftings and the skills and the things that he's invested in our heart and life and our talents. We want to be the best of the best, but with the proper mindset and attitude is that we're his servant, and he is directing our steps. And so, The heart of life is to lift up as many people as possible. For Jesus, childlikeness in the life of any individual is orienting your life around things that are eternal. For example, spiritual gifts, your natural abilities, the acquired skills that you gain in your life. How many, every time Rhonda gets up and she leads us in worship, how many know that is a developed skill? It's a powerful skill in her. It's not just that she gets up and she works at it every single day. When Pastor Joyce gets up and does the announcements, she never just does the announcements. She does the announcements as though she is speaking on behalf of God for the sake of the church and the people of God. And so out of that comes declarations. Out of that comes prayer. Out of that comes moments of ministry. How many know that's kingdom thinking? That's also humility. That's saying, Jesus, I'm here to serve your purpose, not my own. And so greatness isn't having your name remembered by everyone. It's being remembered by one. You are known in heaven. Your name is in the Lamb's book of life. And according to Jesus, greatness isn't where you sit. It's really where you serve. So on another occasion, James and John, two disciples of his, they come with this request. It's found in Mark 10. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. How many have ever heard that one before? And he said to them, well, what do you want me to do? And they said to him, let us sit at your right hand and at your left. And could you imagine the look on Jesus' face at that moment? And 
they're being very, very childish in their language as they're talking to Jesus because at that moment, it's all about them. They're defining legacy as they understand it. Accomplishment, status, position, look how great we are. And Jesus says to them, well, you know, those who are considered rulers amongst the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shouldn't be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so there's Jesus teaching once again legacy, teaching the issue of humility, teaching the issue of servanthood, and saying to them, greatness isn't where you sit, it's where you're called to serve. And I want to give you five areas just to think about as you're going about your day. You want to leave legacy, first of all, in your family. Exodus 20 talks about honoring your father and mother, and Jason had a birthday this week, and uh, we bring a word for our grandchildren and our children when it's their birthday. And one of the things that I said, Jason, in Exodus 20, when it says honor your father and your mother, that's where you decided when you were a young man that you were going to respect the authority over your life. And you respected mom and dad, and you cared for mom and dad, and you're still doing it today, and you're upwards in your 40s now, heading to your 50s. And so thank you for that legacy in your life that you have honored your parents. The second area is your emotions. You want to put things into practice when crises come and struggles come, and you want to be able to say, Lord, thank you that I'm at peace in my heart, even though there's chaos around me. And then social legacy, being a faithful steward. When you're serving, as Jesus called us to do, out of that servanthood, there's an attitude attached to it, there's an action attached to it, and what people see is the goodness of your heart and of your life, and that you don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. And then there is the spiritual legacy, where you're going to teach your children. It's wonderful when you look out and see parents and they've got their children in the house of the Lord and what they're really saying to their, to their children is for you to have success in life, you need to be connected to the one who brings you success and his name is Jesus. And then financial legacy. Uh, Joyce talked about generosity and giving. Uh, just want you to know this is a testimony of the goodness of God. He has, in our giving to him, he has given us a house one time. He's given us cars. He's given us motorcycles. He has done so much, but he's always said, hold it lightly, because when I direct it to you, it's your stewardship of that for the season that you have it, but then I'll direct it to someone else. So if he can get things through you, he'll get things to you. Why? Because you're not holding on to it. You're releasing it. So these are legacy areas. It reminds us that we are stewards, not owners, of everything in our life. Each of us has a story to share. Uh, each of us has gone through things that we can use to help others. And uh, no message without a mess. No testimony without a test. 
And so these are things that all of us can identify with. So each of us are stewards of all that life has invested in us, our time, our talent, our treasure. Absolutely everything is life, in this life is meant to be used in service to the kingdom of God. No area is off limits with God. Kingdom living is not about our private faith. Like I said, there are people that will go to restaurants today, be so excited about what they ate, they will tell you about it. We watched the lineup at Walmart yesterday, and the joy on people's faces to know that they can go back to Walmart was amazing. How much more for us? Oh, yeah, I'm really happy. I'm going to church. No, it's got to be every part of your life where that joy is in your heart and in your life. No area is off limits to God. God sows each of us according to his plans and his purposes, and some of us have position, some of us have status, but all of us are here to serve higher purpose than going through the daily motions of life. There's lots going on in your life and my life. So legacy on earth is living and, and working so that most people think, if I do this, they're going to forget my name. But if you live it the way Jesus wants you to live it, they'll never forget because they'll remember your kindnesses. They'll remember the things that you did in your relationship with them that invested in them, that helped them, that built them up, encouraged them. Uh, when was the last time you thought of former Prime Minister Lester Pearson who oversaw the selection of the flag of Canada? Not very long ago, that flag was brought into being here in Canada. People don't realize that. It's not that old. But we sometimes forget there was somebody that served the nation to be able to have an identifier, and that was Lester Pearson. And so in your life and in my life, these things will come up from time to time and we'll remember them by the actions. We'll remember them by the things that were done. And so legacy to Jesus is living a life where it only matters that God knows your name. Legacy on earth is summed up with the word fame, but in heaven it's summed up with the word faithful. And I want to read a final story as we conclude. It's in Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on how many? Each of them. Everything that God wants to do in his church includes each and every one of us. And they were filled with the Spirit, began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. And then in verse 14, Peter stood up and said, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Peter has received a profound impartation in his life. And it's come through challenge and crisis and, and all kinds of obstacles in his life. Even through denial, he reaches a point where that's restored, and now he gets a download, and he's able to proclaim the gospel to the Jews of that day because he's a Jew, and he's saying to them, open your ears and listen. And as they listen, good things happen. In verse 41, those who received his word that day, were baptized in, in Jesus' name, and they were added to the church, about 3,000 souls. 
Someone once said, when a pastor preaches in the modern world, 3,000 people hear the gospel and one person gets saved. In Peter's day, he preaches one message and 3,000 get saved. What's the difference between the two? It has to do with our hearing. It has to do with our thinking. It has to do with our motivations. It has to do with our purposes and our plans for our life. And when you shift those into God's hands, then he begins to live out his life through you, and you live the best life that he wants for your life. 8,969 kilometers, 8,969 kilometers is the distance from where this event happened in Jerusalem to where you and I sit today. The gospel was, of Jesus was preached in Jerusalem. Then it went to Judea, to Samaria, and then it started going to the ends of the earth, and it came to Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. I don't know the names of all the faithful followers of Jesus who, with childlike faith, were faithful to serve someone by sharing the gospel, but God knows every one of their names. Faithful generations, empowered by the Holy Spirit, served, and at one time in that process, were able to bring the message of the gospel almost 9,000 kilometers to here, and that's a legacy, a cloud of witnesses whose faithfulness has given us the greatest gift that we can receive, which is simply hearing the message of the gospel. A profound moment for each of us will be when we can see how God used our life, unknown to us, to make a Jesus-sized difference in the lives of other people. Leading for legacy isn't fame. It's faithfulness. It isn't status. It's servanthood. It isn't earthly. It's eternal and heavenly. Let God stamp eternity in your heart and in your eyes and in your mind and in your motion and the things that you do. Let your passion be eternal. Let your vision be eternal. And let the actions of your life be eternal. Leading for legacy isn't trying to get everyone to know your name but it's introducing everyone to his name. According to Jesus, if we embrace vulnerability, trust, and no ability to advance our own cause apart from his help, apart from his direction, and apart from his abundant resources, that he calls greatness in the kingdom of God. So whatever you are or what you're not doing today, God is shaping you and shaping your life for legacy. Forget where you sit, but rise up, and serve him every single day as you go out of here today. Don't focus on childish things, but childlike things. And if you want to leave an incredible, lasting legacy, be someone who imitates Christ. As we see on this, be more like Jesus in everything that you do. And turn your eyes to him when you wake up every morning and say, Jesus, this day belongs to you. Direct my steps. Work in me. Deal with my heart. Help me to help others. Lord, I want to serve you today. And then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So let's stand together.